Welcome to the Wellness for Educators podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Kennedy. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode of our podcast. I am so excited to have Daniel Newfer here with us today. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Daniel specializes in teaching mindfulness, stress reduction, self-care, and habit formation to teachers and students. She is a high school English teacher, a mindful schools certified instructor, and an ICF credentialed teacher wellness coach. She is also the author of The Path of the Mindful Teacher and founder of Teaching Well, which is dedicated to supporting teachers to reduce stress and burnout while finding and sustaining balance and wellness inside and outside of their classrooms. Danielle is honored to work with teachers through professional development opportunities, online courses, and one-on-one teacher wellness coaching. Um, I'd love to jump into the first question, which is how you wrote the book or where does this work come from um, as you're still, I know, a continuing classroom teacher? Yeah, thank you so much for that introduction. I always like to start as to to where this all came from because I've had quite a teacher journey to wellness um, in the last 20 years. And um, it all stemmed from, you know, teaching for five years, getting to that point of that burnout that happens to a lot of us teachers. So way back in the early 2000s, and there wasn't a strong philosophy, or I should say the philosophy for most teachers was like, that's part of it, either deal with it or find something else to do. And it wasn't because people were not kind or my workplace wasn't a great place to work because it, it I work at a, the same school district I worked at when I went through my first bout of burnout, but there just wasn't a lot of, it just wasn't part of the culture of teaching. And I think it continued to not be a part of the culture of teaching for for quite some time. But what I found was I had a lot of um, personal stuff going on and professional stuff going on. I'm in my 20s and I hit a wall and I didn't want to leave the profession, but I didn't know. But the, the way I was going I was going to get asked to leave the profession. (laughs) Like it just wasn't going to, it wasn't going to work. So I did a lot of just my own self discovery of how do I like balance? How do I like not take all my work home? How do I help myself at home? How do like all of these things, like I, I did a lot of like soul searching about on my own time and my own way. And, um, it, it helped. It helped. It, and then um, I didn't leave the profession and I, I started to, you know, get a lot of the things back that I was losing. Like I was, I was asked to like, you know, do different things at school because I looked, you know, like I'm, I'm energetic and I'm, and I'm, you know, looking good and things are looking good, but I still didn't know how to say no to things. So I went through another bout of burnout, like five years after that. <laughs> And all of this culminated in me taking an actual educational sabbatical where I could take some time. um, And I ended up studying mindfulness for educators. And through the previous years, I had learned about mindfulness, but I never really like understood how it related to the classroom specifically and specifically to teachers. And after 
studying that and studying positive psychology, I, I just was like, teachers need this stuff. And there's so many wonderful things about programs for kids in our schools, but there's not a ton or there wasn't, I think it's come up and coming. I mean, I think a lot of people are doing this work now. There wasn't a lot of support for teachers. And if we want to be great vessels for supporting our students' well-being, we have to be able to support ourselves. So I really went in 2016 after or during my last semester of sabbatical, I just said, you know what, I'm starting a business. I have no idea what that looks like, but I want to help teachers. And from that came me developing some courses and doing some professional development. And all of that is the book, The Path of the Mindful Teacher. Like that's my kind of take on what worked for me to bring mindfulness to my classroom, not to teach mindfulness to kids. That's great. That's fine. But to bring mindful embodiment to my classroom and how that really saved my uh, professional life and probably personal life as well. That's such an awesome journey. And I, I get the, it's kind of like a practice. You have to, you know, first go through that first wave of, of noticing and being aware of like, what's not working for you. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you keep on doing those habits, but then all of a sudden something else creeps up, like your inability to say no or set boundaries or something like that. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, we're here again. Like, what do I need to do differently in order for me to, you know, change the way that I'm doing things to better support myself. So I totally, I totally hear that. And I, I can tell you that like out of a lot of the stories that we've heard from educators over the time that we've been here and talking to different people, it's just like, that's the thing. It's like you start something and then you realize like, oh, I got to do something differently. And then you revisit those habits and see what works best for you. So thank you so much for sharing that journey. Um, so we'll move on to talking about that idea that you mentioned just now in your answer um, to the previous question. And that is like, why are, why are educators settling for things the way that they are? Is it systemic things that are happening in the system where we can't change anything? So therefore we just go along with whatever it is and how can we be with that, you know, that space of like, I can't change anything? Well, I think it's very easy to get caught up in all the things we can't change because as educators, there's a ton that we have no control over, no power over, no say over. But what I, what I try to encourage myself and those I work with and everybody I speak with and, and definitely through the book is that one of the, the, where we need to start is what we do have control over. You know, what we need to, what, where we start is what we do have control over. And if we don't, then we'll never be able to change a system. Like that's, that's the catch 22 of it is like, if, if we just give up all of our power, then who knows what's going to happen. But if we start with ourselves, what can I change in my little corner of the world about myself? Like, um, I have a section in the book called the four noble truths of teaching. And the fourth noble truth is that we don't, we, we will find relief when we focus on our internal responses to external things we can't, cannot control. 
And I feel like that's where we need to start because we won't be able to do those big things if we can't take care of ourselves. Yeah, I love that. I feel like it's it's kind of like that idea of you being the lighthouse in the school and setting an example of like how things can change based on what you yourself do um, and the changes that can be made around you based on your influence um, from what you're doing for yourself. And I also feel like it almost is a relief when we don't feel like we have to change everything ourselves. So starting small is not bad. Starting small is what needs to happen. So it's almost to me, and when I when I try to to pass this message to people, it's it's like a message of empowerment. Like, no, like you don't have to wait for anybody. And you don't and, and but you don't have to change the world because just by changing you, you and taking care of yourself and mo modeling these things for students, you end up changing the world without having to like do things that or, or be, bang your head against the wall about things that you don't have control over. So it is, I try to send a message of empowerment with that as well. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like it also goes into like in, in the therapy world of that all or nothing, like we have to do everything or nothing at all. And so keeping it small and doing like bite-sized changes, I think, and, and that's a lot with habit forming. It's better to start small and not try to like bite off more than you can chew at, at the beginning. So thank you for, for that. Um, so Teachers often talk about having no extra time. And so I would love to know, what do you say to teachers who rightly feel like this and how they may feel like one more, that's just one more thing to do when you're thinking about incorporating mindfulness in your practices? So I definitely feel and know and understand the, the don't give me one more thing to do. Don't don't ask me to do one more thing. Don't have me fit one more thing into my lessons. And that's what whenever I start a talk or a presentation, that's like one of my opening slides is like, I'm not telling you to add anything to your lesson plans, like nothing like that is. And hopefully that's a great sell. That might not be a great sell to some of the administrators, but it's a great sell to the teachers. And it's the truth because I'm not trying to add something to their day. But what I'm trying to and what I what I try to do is to encourage teachers to find places that they already pause or have transition times or have times without students to maybe take literally three breaths like that's literally what I'm talking about. Maybe they are, you know, a, a mindful moment they could fit into their their day would be to drive a different way home from work. And maybe they are looking at the landscape differently, you know? So there are moments that we can build in mindfulness to our schedules, to our days that are already occurring. We just treat them differently. So we just show up in a way of like paying attention. So when we're eating lunch, maybe we're not on our phones, we're actually focusing on eating lunch. So it's not changing your day necessarily. Now you could, but it's not necessarily needing to change your day. It's about approaching some of these moments that we already have in a more present and in a more embodied way. And just that sh shifting framework can, can really um, make a difference.
So I love that that is the message is that you're not asking anybody to add anything to their schedule. You're just having them take a different perspective and maybe do something differently um, than what they're doing or focus on something differently um, so that it is more of a mindful practice, whatever they're they're engaged in. I can't tell you how many times I'm I'm watching my computer when I'm eating my food. So I I probably need to incorporate that. I'm glad I'm not alone in that. <laughs> um, so there so there are many, as you know, misconceptions about what mindfulness is and what it isn't. What could you tell teachers who are still skeptical about being able to do this quote unquote right? or that their minds don't ever stay still. So that's one of the biggest things that I feel like is such a misconception about mindfulness that you have this, you know, of course you can have a daily practice where you sit still and you focus on your breathing. And I, I'm an advocate for that, absolutely. But oftentimes when that happens, teachers will say to me and other people will say to me, well, I don't do this right. This isn't for me. My mind is, you know, a constant chatter. Like I, I can't do it. And I said, if your mind is wandering, if your mind is racing, like, that's it. Like, that's what minds do. So you're not doing it wrong. You're actually paying attention to what is happening. And that's mindfulness. The definition or, or one of the standard definitions that I like to use is um, paying attention to the present moment in a non-judgmental way. And oftentimes with curiosity. So paying attention to your mind racing, we, we need to be at non-judgmental, which is sometimes really hard, but that just means like, wow, my mind is really busy today. Let me return back to my breath or whatever I'm focused on, eating, walking, driving, whatever I'm deciding to focus on. When you know and you witness that moment of your mind racing, that is the practice. Like that's, that is it. So there's nothing more complicated about it, it might lessen, it might increase depending on lots of things. But just witnessing that and coming back to whatever you're practicing or paying attention to, that's, that's mindfulness practice. So I try to get people to not feel like they're doing it wrong because when they witness it, they're doing it absolutely right. Yeah, I love the idea of just being in that present moment. And especially like you said, without judgment, because there's every time I talk about, you know, meditation or something like that, everybody thinks that it has to be done a certain way, but there's, as you know, there's so many different types of meditation and, um, just in something that people can kind of key into and, and realize like what works best for them. I, I think it's great to really have that simple just it's an awareness of the present moment and making sure that you're doing it without judgment. Um, so why is learning about mindfulness, do you think as a teacher, so important, especially right now? I think it's so incredibly important for teachers, especially because when we bring this sense of mindfulness or this, we embody mindfulness practice when we're in our classrooms, that means we're paying attention to our classrooms. We're paying attention to students as individuals. We're, we're bringing awareness of 
you know, how we're talking, how we're moving through our classrooms, maybe a student who doesn't have a pencil or maybe he is wearing the same outfit as he did the day before. These are all ways that we can bring mindful awareness to our, to our classroom and to what we teach and how we teach it in a way that really supports students. So like I said before, it's great if you want to teach mindfulness to kids. It's, it's wonderful if you want to do that. But what I am advocating for is really to develop your own personal mindfulness practice, bringing that practice to the classroom and really learning about how that feels while you're teaching real human beings doing real human being things. Cause that's what our, that's what our students need. Like we need, they need teachers who are paying attention to them, not just treating them like it's a whole entire classroom that needs to like do everything the teacher says. Like they need us to see them as individuals. And that doesn't mean spend as much time with each individual student as the other one, but just to see them. And that, that is what mindful awareness helps us do in a classroom. That's one of the things that it helps us do in a classroom as a teacher. Yeah, I love the idea of that human element factor that it's involved in it, just because, again, going back to your, your idea of, of, of being in the present moment, but you're also being in the present moment with others around you and, um, you know, that, that awareness and also um, making sure that there's that human connection with them and giving them these tools to be able to, you know, serve them in whatever way is helpful for them. Because as you know, with, with students that you work with, there are so many different distractions in their lives. And so knowing what works for you, you can also bring that to them to help them feel more supported. So if a teacher wants to get started right now, what is something that they could do tomorrow, let's say? So I think I mentioned it earlier, and I think it's one that I come back to quite often is just finding time in your day to take three breaths, like finding, and I call them in the book, I call them mindful moments and building those in to your routine. But really it's, can you find transition points in your day? So look at your day and we, we transition either by walking to the bathroom or going to the mailbox or walking our kids to specials or what, however you do that. And can you find time in your day to just put your hand on your chest and just take three breaths and just really feel what that feels like. And that right there is just you know, you pausing and taking a little care of yourself. So that would be like the simplest, easiest thing to do when you go to school tomorrow. Excellent. So we are coming up on time and I would just love for you to share with us how people can get in touch with you as well as where they can purchase um, your book. Okay. So Please look uh, for me on Instagram. I'm at, at, Dan, or at Teaching Well Danielle. So that's one place people can always go onto my website. That's probably the easiest thing is teachingwell.life. And you can find all the information about me and how to contact me there. If you're looking for specific information about the book, you can go to teachingwell.life forward slash book. And then you can find all the places you can order it and find out more and uh, see if it's a good fit for you.
Excellent. Thank you so much again for taking the time to join us, Danielle. We're looking forward to many more collaborations with you in the future. Me too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for more episodes of Wellness for Educators podcast.